Um, hey, that's better. <laughs> Good morning. Let's try this again. <laughs> I'm going to end the year awesome. Um, no, hey, just one, just one quick housekeeping thing. Uh, this is, of course, the last day of the year, which means we start a new uh, week and a new month and a new year tomorrow, which means that some of our normal beginning of the month things, uh, we won't have another Sunday to talk about. So check your bulletin uh, for stuff like Chapel Rockets is meeting this Thursday, Pastor's Bible Study, guys, for you men, is this coming Saturday morning, 7.30. So just check your bulletin, be aware of that stuff that's happening soon, and we're not going to have another Sunday to talk about it before it rolls around. So let me pray, and we'll get going today. God, we love you. Thank you for allowing us to be here uh, together today uh, in a nice warm building with hot coffee and warm clothes. Uh, Father, we are especially mindful of those in our community who are crowding into shelters and any place they can to try to stay warm. Um, God, we pray that we could be the church in that situation too, that we could resource those in our community um, who are struggling, God, through this time, especially in this bitter cold. Uh, we're grateful uh, for the, just the incredible blessings that you've given us. And so thank you for allowing us to be here today in peace and, and safety. We pray for our brothers and sisters around the world, Lord, who uh, maybe have to meet in secret or out of fear of their authorities. Uh, we're just, just incredibly mindful of our blessings today, God, here at the very last day of the year. Uh, open our hearts and minds as we study your word together today. and Use this, God, as an opportunity to cement in our hearts what you've done in us this year and to move in our souls to become more like Jesus in the coming uh, weeks and months and year. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. You've probably seen them. I mean, they come around every year. We seemingly can't get through the end of the year without them. No, not those extra seven or eight pounds. I'm talking about the end of the year list. You've seen these, right, where we summarize the last year, we, we look back at the year that was, the top news stories of 2017, you know, the top 25 pictures of 2017, the, the top 10 trends of 2017, the, the top viral videos of 2017. So as a reminder, let me give you one of each. Top news stories has to be our president's Twitter feed. Uh, whether, whether you love him or, or, or can't wait for 2020 to roll around, it doesn't matter. You need to pray for him. But this absolutely drove the news cycle. Every time our president tweets, it just it makes the news it, practically every single time. It was the top news story all year long. The top 25 pictures, this was the one that stood out to me most. I don't get it. I mean, I like my hobbies, but not that much. We're standing on the edge of the apocalypse. How about nine rounds? You know, it just, <laughs> I don't get it. When you look at the biggest trends of 2017, this one has to rank somewhere in the list. <laughs> yeah, yes, the kids, the kids are like, yes. Some of you don't know what that is. That's okay. It's a fidget spinner. It's something you do to keep your hand. See, when I was your age, we had a cure for fidgeting. It's called running. <laughs> if you get fidgety in class, teachers like run, laps. Oh, man. And you don't fidget as much the next day. 
And when you think about the biggest viral videos of the year, there were lots, but this was the one that caught my all year long. It came out like back in May, but this just stood out to me. Watch this. Last one, D. Last one. Okay, we're good. Hello, everyone. I'm Gav. I'm Dan. We're the Slumber Guys, and we're incredibly on edge right now. Yeah. I'm nervous. Why are you nervous? Well, it's not just because I'm about to jump into a load of mousetraps. It's because I don't want them to go off before I do. Yeah. This took hours. We've spent four hours doing this. We had a couple of calamities. What even happened? How did that do it? Was it the one I was pushing? I don't know. But now Dan is ready to leap from that ladder onto the trampoline full of, I assume, like a thousand mouse traps. I think there is about a thousand we've done now. Someone could freeze frame and count. Let's get out of the way. <laughs> All right. Good luck counting. Dan, yeah. you ready? Yeah, I just want to get on with it. Let's go. Good luck. Thank you very much. I sir. did offer to do it though, didn't I? You did. Yeah. You did. I would have done it. Don't try this at home, ladies and gents. I'm ready to go into the mouse traps, B. Okay. Go for it. Are you ready? Yeah. to jump into a trampoline full of a thousand mousetraps? That's one of those questions that you would never think to ask until you hear it and then you really want to know the answer. You're welcome. <laughs> I'm, I'm glad that you're here today. If, if it's your first Sunday at Chapel Rock, thank you for being here. I'd love to meet you when we're done. I'll be right down front. If you're joining us online, thanks for logging in uh, from wherever you are. We're, we're grateful that, especially if the weather uh, kept you home. We're just thankful that you're joining us virtually. Please let us know how many people are watching there with you. Fill out your online connection card, and, and thanks for joining us that way. 2017 has been quite a year on planet Earth, and there's a tendency to struggle under the weight of all these lists, all this news, all these events that have shaped us over the last year. So here's the question that I want to ask you and to have you think about today. What has Jesus done in you in 2017? Look back on this year. How has Jesus worked in your soul this year to make you more like him? As I look back on this past year, especially that tomorrow will mark my first anniversary as Chapel Rock's lead pastor, I wanted to try to find a way to summarize the journey we've been on over this past year. So my message today isn't, you know, deeply exegetical. 
It's not profoundly theological. It's not even significantly methodological. It's really more devotional. I'm not going to get into the Greek. We're not going to track out some, you know, weird theological point. I'm not even going to give you six steps to do anything. I just kind of want to give you a devotion on the journey that God has taken us on over the last year. Really, I just want this to be all about Jesus. I mean, that's the big idea this morning. The, the, the goal for the past year here at Chapel Rock has been to be all about Jesus. How would you describe your year? What was it all about? See, as I thought back through the, room, the, the, thought back through the sermons delivered in this room, and not all just by me, and the other church-wide initiatives that we undertook this year, there were three themes that kept reappearing. And so what I want to do is just walk devotionally through those three themes. My goal this morning is that as you are reminded of these things, that you'll look back on your year of 2017 here on the last day of the year and see how God has worked in your heart over these last 12 months and that will inspire you to trust and obey Jesus even more in 2018. So here's the first theme that came out of this year. The first one is that Jesus is constantly surprising us. Jesus is constantly surprising us. One of the most significant themes in the Gospels is that Jesus often challenges or even subverts people's expectations of him. He's constantly surprising us. We saw this theme be a driving factor in the Jesus is for Everyone series, the Newsflash series, and just recently in the One Starry Night series. One passage where we really see this in the foreground is where Paul writes in Philippians chapter 3, starting in verse 7. Look at that with me. He writes this, But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage, that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I want to know Christ, yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow, and he's not saying that he doesn't, he's not sure of his salvation, he just doesn't know how God's going to work all this out, somehow attaining to the resurrection of the dead. Now, just prior to this text, Paul had listed for the Philippian church all the ways that his culture would call him a winner. But he was willing to become a loser for the sake of Jesus. And in doing that, he gained everything that really mattered anyway. Jesus is constantly surprising us. He tells us that when we lose everything, we gain Jesus. And when we gain Jesus, we gain so much more. Jesus himself said in Matthew 16, 25, For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. Jesus subverts our culture's narrative by telling us that he is for losers. That's surprising. He's constantly surprising us. It also, he also surprises us by telling us that if we follow him, then our primary identity is that of a Christian. And nothing else gets to outrank that. If you follow Jesus, your primary identity is as a Jesus follower. Not an American. Not someone of your ethnic background. 
Not someone that, you know, well, I'm from Kentucky or whatever. No. Nothing gets to outrank Jesus. And Paul had to learn that lesson the hard way. Ultimately, he learned to embrace people who were very different from him. And that, ha- that should happen in us, too, that Jesus wants you to do that. It's part of following him, is learning to embrace people that are different from you. That's what he did when he came here. We also spent some time in Mark's gospel this year. One of Mark's major themes is that he wants his readers to be just as open to the immediacy of Jesus' call to discipleship as those first uh, disciples were. That Jesus is still calling people to follow him. His call has lost none of its immediacy or potency. Come, follow me, Jesus says. Follow me. And this happened 2,000 years ago, and it's still fresh, and it's still new, and it's still exciting. Follow me. Come be like me. It's surprising that something almost 2,000 years old can feel as fresh as the day it was delivered. See, on a warm day, Jesus stood beside these waters and he said to a group of fishermen, follow me. And they left their nets and they followed him. This is the seashore near Capernaum. And other than those tourists down there who are where they are not supposed to be, probably looked a lot like that that day. He says, follow me. And he's still issuing that call. And it's so surprising and shocking that it's just as fresh and new and real and vital as it's always been. (laughs) When we really do what Jesus calls us to do, we said this repeatedly through our series leading up to Easter, when we really do what Jesus calls us to, it'll make the news. A little bit like a story I heard from a couple years ago. Uh, Months after winning a national title, uh, Harvard's debate team faced their toughest opponent yet, a group of prison inmates from upstate New York. In the British newspaper, The Guardian, they reported this story. The showdown took place at the Eastern Correctional Facility in New York, a maximum security prison where prisoners can, over the internet, take courses taught by teachers from nearby Bard College, and the inmates there have formed a very popular debate club. Uh, A couple years ago, these inmates invited the Ivy League undergraduate debate club to to a debate. Of course, it had to be there in in the prison. They had... (laughs) That's... That's kind of how that works. Um, so they came in and got all the security checks, and they, just for a friendly competition, just to see, you know, we're going to go up against these Harvard undergraduate debate team. Just won the national title. A three-judge panel concluded that the inmates had raised strong arguments, and the Harvard team had failed to consider, and they cl- declared the inmate team the victors of that con- contest. The inmates beat the Harvard kids. And they posted a note on their Facebook page graciously congratulating the inmates. And that's a little bit how grace works, isn't it? God takes things that didn't work out quite the way we'd planned and he changes it and he uses it in some special way. Makes a difference in our life. And it's surprising and it's shocking. Jesus is always surprising us. How did Jesus surprise you this year? See, there's another theme that we talked about, and it's that Jesus wants you to defend your faith. 
We saw this theme expressed in the You Asked For It series based on your questions. We saw it in the Armored series about defending our faith. We saw it in the Blueprint series about um, just the way God designed the church to function. And to a lesser degree in the Invested series about being really invested in the Christian faith. Earlier in the year, we said that, biblically speaking, here's what faith is. Faith is the lifestyle orientation of belief in, obedience on, or dependence on, and obedience to God. That's what Jesus is telling his disciples he's looking for in, in them in one of the passages that we looked at in Mark 11. Earlier in the passage, Jesus went to a fig tree looking for fruit. He didn't find any, so he cursed the tree and it withered. Let's look at this passage from Mark 11, starting in verse 20. In the morning as they went along, they saw the fig tree withered from the roots. Peter remembered and said to Jesus, Rabbi, look, the fig tree you cursed has withered. Have faith in God, Jesus answered. Truly, I tell you, if anyone says to this mountain, go, throw yourself into the sea, and does not doubt in their heart, but believes that what they say will happen, it will be done for them. Therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you have received it. And it will be yours. Now, Jesus uses hyperbole here. He uses um, exaggerated language to make his point. I don't know that he's telling his disciples that the main thing, listen to me, the main thing he wants them to pray for is to chuck mountains in the ocean. I don't think that's Jesus' main point in saying that. I think he's trying to teach his disciples that the product of expectant faith is seeing God do amazing things. And we need to have that kind of radical faith that can ask for some big things from God. What God wants us to get from this passage is that Jesus is hungry. Remember, he went there looking for breakfast. (laughs) He's hungry for his people to pray big prayers and expect big things from God. Because when that happens, when God shows up and does something that's not explainable by any other reason gives you an opportunity to talk about your faith. gives you an opportunity to defend what God is doing in your life. It gives you an opportunity to say, look, this is what my Jesus did. And Jesus wants you to defend your faith. And it's for that reason that Scripture is so important. Scripture sustains us. It reminds us of God's will in those difficult and testing times. I don't know how your 2017 went. Maybe it didn't go the way you planned. And I sure hope that in those difficult times, your source of refuge, the first place you run to, is the Word. Because it's Scripture that sustains us through that time. It helps us when our faith is tested in those difficult times, when you have to, it's a make or break moment, and you have to decide, am I really going to follow Jesus or not? It's the Word where we need to run. God has revealed himself to us in this. That record is reliable. You can trust it. We talked about that this year. One of the most interesting things that we studied all year long was was something that was really kind of a new idea to me. We talked about the law of compound probability. The idea that one person could have a number of prophecies be fulfilled in their life. That that was, that it just, it's remarkable when that happens. And it's especially true, just you think about it, we come out of the Christmas season. How in the world, Jesus did fulfill some prophecies intentionally. But there's others he couldn't possibly have had anything to do with. Like where he was born, unless he really is who he said he is. God. We, we talked about this, that this, this 
um, principle, the, the law of compound probability, was vouched for by the American Scientific Affiliation. It, it, it sets out the odds of any one person uh, fulfilling even eight of the 60 major prophecies about uh, the life of Jesus that he fulfilled in Scripture. Look at this. The probability that Jesus of Nazareth could have fulfilled even eight of the 60 major prophecies about him is one in 10 to the 17th power. This is just eight of the 60 big ones, not counting the 250 other illusions. That's one with 17 zeros after it. Those are the odds. <laughs> the, the, the chance of one man fulfilling um, all of those prophecies is about one in 10 to the 157th power. 157 zeros after that. It's powerful evidence for the truth of the Christian faith. You can believe when what this book says. You can trust it. And because you can trust it, you can defend it in the marketplace of ideas. Faith and reason may live in tension, but they are not in conflict. But there's evidence for our faith. Miracles and the documentation of their occurrence are evidence for their faith. Jesus wants you to be able to defend that. But the greatest evidence for our faith is your life when Jesus changes it. A changed life is the best apologetic, the, the defense of the faith that there is. I told you this story. It's worth repeating. <laughs> A man was, was really suffered under alcoholism, really just drink drove his life. He finally he got saved, gave his life over to the Lord. He was talking to a friend of his who was an atheist, who was skeptical. And his friend said, you can't tell me that all of a sudden now you believe all those miracles in the Bible, can you? I mean, you don't really believe that stuff, do you? He said, absolutely, I sure do. Really? Like, like you really legitimately believe that Jesus turned water into wine, I do. How in the world can you believe that? He says, it's simple. Because in my house, Jesus turned the wine into furniture. <laughs> the best defense of the faith is a changed life. And Jesus wants you to defend your faith. Did you have opportunities to do that this year? Did you have an opportunity to speak a word of witness on behalf of Jesus when he's being mocked in the marketplace of ideas? I hope so. There's one final theme that came out during this past year, and it's that Jesus loves you despite your brokenness. We, we looked at this over and over and over again through the year, and I'll just give you a little peek into next year. <laughs> We're going to talk so much next year about how God loves broken, hurting, messed up people, but then also what it looks like when he brings wholeness into their life. And we're just going to kind of bounce back and forth all year long. Okay? But you need to understand that Jesus loves you despite your brokenness. We saw this in the story of Ruth in the Love Story series. We, we saw this in the Man of Faith series. We saw this big time in the hashtag Parenting Fail and Dark Walk series. One of the most important ideas that we talked about is, is the understanding that God is deeply interested in people who will come to him in their weakness so that he can meet them where they're at. The application here is that you don't have to have a degree in theology to bring your suffering and your failures to Jesus to have him immediately reach out to you in love and healing and acceptance and mercy. 
See, I think the Bible makes very clear distinctions between our iniquity and our identity, between our direction and our destiny. And we have to deal with these distinctions. And do you know why? Because we're not whole. Only God is. We're broken. We're fallen. We have issues. The Bible calls them sins. But what Jesus came to do, what the gospel is in its essence, is to lead us toward wholeness in Christ. I said before, and I still believe, that that I want this church to be known in the community as a church that tells the truth about sin and loves sinners relentlessly. Erwin McManus writes in his book, The Barbarian Way, that love is not so much a guarantee of warm feelings and happiness as love is a promise of pain. The more you love someone, the more you give them permission to hurt you. Loving people the way that Jesus loved them is not about having warm, fuzzy feelings toward them. It's about living a lifestyle where the church impacts the world around it the way Jesus impacted his culture. Jesus came to earth to die on the cross in our place for our sins. He knew that going into it, and he wrestled with it. And if you think for a second that Jesus just breezed through his life like it's no big deal, you didn't read the same book I did. Father, If it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Yet not what I will, but what you will. Three times he prayed that prayer. Daddy, I don't want to do this. It wasn't easy. He didn't just breeze through it, but he went through that. He went through the suffering. He went through the torment. He went through the scourging. He went through the beatings. He went through the crucifixion. He went through bearing your sin and all the guilt you've ever felt in your whole life. Jesus felt for you on the cross. He did that because he loves you. He loves you despite your brokenness. And Jesus rejected the fear of getting hurt because he loves us. I don't want to sound like I'm griping up here, but I want to speak the truth to you this morning. I've met too many Christians who didn't live the love of Jesus because they were afraid of getting hurt. They're afraid of being taken advantage of. And when I look at the way he lived his life, I don't see that in him at all. I see someone who is not afraid of getting hurt, not afraid of being taken advantage of, and loved us anyway. I'm not mature enough to do that, but I want to be. I want to be like that. I want to live that kind of life. I mean, in every measurable way, there's never been two more different beings in existence than the eternal, perfect, glorious person of God, the Son, and we human beings who are by our very nature broken and mortal and debased. And yet, in the midst of that, God chose to love us by sending us himself in the person of Jesus. We're very different, we and God. And he came to be like us because he loves us. I mean, how many times have we disappointed God by our sin, by our selfishness, by our lack of love, and yet he still loves us. His holiness has been offended countless times because of our sin, and yet he still takes that risk. He still loves us. 
And the problem is there are still some people out there who have this image of God like he's some kind of judgmental authority figure in the sky who's constantly frustrated that we're just not quite living up to his high expectations. People think the way that, that that's how God is. Which is why stuff like this just strikes us so strongly. I showed you this a couple months ago. I can't help but show it again. It's my favorite video we showed all year. Watch. Today's reading comes from the book of Proverbs. If I may digress for a moment from my prepared message, I mean it when I say to you, you guys, sometimes you're bad. Don't be jerks. You're supposed to be good. I'm in my office every day and somebody comes in and they're like, hey, whoops. I don't! Dan, what is your deal? If anybody doesn't know, Dan is the worst. I took a vow to not say who was the worst, but it's Dan. You guys are making me look bad in front of God. What's that? Oh, look, it's Jesus. And he said, stop it! The word of the Lord. Stop it! <laughs> if you want to find that, just look on YouTube for Honest Preacher. That's really the name of it. Um, I think some people think that God is like that. He's just up there in heaven going, stop it! And over and over and over again, we saw this year that he loves you in spite of your brokenness. God knows every messed up, jacked up thing about you and loves you anyway. Listen, if there's anything I want to leave you with on the last day of the year, it's this. If you didn't hear anything else I said all year long, listen now. No matter how messed up, how broken, how fallen, how wounded, how full of pride and envy and sloth and anger and lust you are, Jesus still loves you. That's surprising. That's worth defending. And you can bet your eternity on it. So what are you going to do about it today? Let me suggest three things. Let Jesus redeem 2017. Here we stand on the cusp of a new year, the last day of 2017. Maybe it didn't go the way you hoped. It ain't over yet. Jesus can redeem this year. And if you've never made a decision to follow him, if you've never named him Savior and Lord, in just a moment we're going to stand and sing together. 
And when we do, you come down to the front. We'll have people ready and waiting to receive you. And you can make that decision to follow Jesus. You can take on this last day of the year. And he can redeem this whole thing. He can turn it around. Maybe you're here this morning and you're struggling with some part of your faith. Maybe something happened to you this year. An unanswered prayer. A tragedy that was unexpected and came out of the clear blue. And you're wrestling with God this morning. If that's where you're at, when we sting in a moment, instead of coming forward, you go back. Go back to that next step room under the yellow awning. We'll have leaders there ready to talk with you. Just to help kind of be a filter for your experience, help you process that and work through this. I, you, you, listen, you can't do this Christian thing alone. You, you just can't. You have to do it in, in, in concert with other brothers and sisters. Even the Lone Ranger had Tonto. So head toward the next step room if that's where you're at today. And maybe you're here today and you're just longing for more of God's wholeness in, in 2018 in your life. You want somebody to pray with you about something that's going on. We'll have prayer counselors down here ready to pray with you, pray for you. I don't know what your need is, but I'm going to ask you to stand with me. We're going to sing together and you respond as God leads you this morning.